Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio with your host, Teresa Kuhn. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio here on Talk Radio, 1370 AM, streaming live at talk1370.com. I'm Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. Do you sit down to pay the bills and wonder where all your money is going? Does it sometimes seem like there is never enough to get to where you want to go? Maybe you've tried living on a budget, but it's just too complicated. You just weren't sure how it was going to affect your standard of living. Many Americans are struggling to make ends meet. There are more questions than answers out there, it seems. But maybe there's a secret to all this. Maybe it doesn't have to be such a struggle. Our guest, Stephanie O'Connell, moved to New York to become a Broadway actress during the Great Recession and in the process learned some really clever ways to make a little go a long way. She's the author of The Broke and Beautiful Life, and she's going to share with us some of the tips and secrets that have helped transform her life. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio, Stephanie. Hi, Teresa. Thank you for having me. So we are living in a tough economy for many, many people. And you're actually living in one of the most expensive cities in the world. So how did you figure this out? Living on a budget in New York City. I don't know if you would consider yourself a starving actress or at the time, right? But um, Mm -hmm. how did you figure it out? So um, New York City, I like to say, is only as expensive as you want it to be. Uh, It's full of so many resources and so many options. So as expensive as everything is, from housing to uh, groceries, there's that many ways to save. So, you know, I probably pay as much in housing as the average person. You know, I've never paid more than $1,000 for my monthly housing costs. And the way I've done that is by having roommates and by living in different neighborhoods. I lived in Jersey, for example, for $500 a month. Um, and that's a very reasonable cost of living. And if the trade-off is a 15-minute commute instead of a five-minute walk to uh, Times Square, then, you know, that's not a really high cost. So it's really about finding out what the alternatives are and challenging yourself to find the ones that work for you on your budget. How did you develop this mindset? How did you know that this is what you needed to do, besides the obvious, right? You only had so much of a budget to work with. Because really... A budget or income doesn't stop a whole lot of people when it comes to spending, right? They spend anyways. Yeah, I, I guess my philosophy has always been that I, I can't spend money I don't have. Like I, I've never been in debt. So I just think it's just something I, I was either born into or whatever, but like I have an aversion to it. So whatever I need to do to cut back and get things done within the parameters of income that I have, I will do it. And if that means, like, I've done couch surfing, I've done things like that, so that I can reduce my expenses to zero if necessary. But I really don't want to take on any debt. Would you consider yourself a minimalist? I do, yeah. (laughs) I don't know that I always was, but the older I get, the more minimalist I've become. And I, I think that's because I've found that for me, value really lies in the experiences I have and reinvesting into myself and my business and my growth as a person rather than the stuff I can accumulate. So if you were to put all your stuff in a box or in a, in a storage unit, how much stuff do you have? I have very little. (laughs) 
I mean, even my furniture, for the most part, is uh, either stuff that has been in apartments with me. Like, when I moved in, they were already there. Or things that I took from, you know, my parents' house when they became empty nesters. So nothing really belongs to me. My most precious item is probably my laptop, which I live and work from, like, 12 hours a day. (laughs) So... Do your friends have the same mindset? You know, it's tricky. (laughs) Uh, I think it's really hard for uh, young people to get out of that mode of, I need to get this stuff because I need to accumulate stuff because this is like the sign of me establishing my independence in my life. And I'm not really sure what it was about my experience. I think it, maybe it was being an actor and, and traveling so much on the road that, that really made me realize how little I needed to establish my life in terms of objects. But for other people, I think they define their independence through the things they own and through ownership. And so we've come to, to think of like the 20s as this time of establishing your independence through acquiring things like your first house and your first car and your first all this stuff and I don't really have any of those things you know I rent my apartment I ride a bike I take public transportation and I feel that that frees up so much more cash and time and energy for other goals which I'm really excited about. So did you ever have the goal or the objective or the thinking that you wanted to own your own place or you wanted a car or it it was just not part of your lifestyle because you were an actress and you were traveling? Up until I'm 28 now so I I never really lived outside of New York City so I I didn't really have a, a need for a vehicle. In terms of home ownership, I definitely think that might be something I would want to pursue at some point, but, you know, I'm, I keep thinking about return on investment, and I, I don't want to buy a place that I'm not going to commit to for at least five to seven years, and at this point in my life, I just don't know that I can commit to being anywhere for that long. Even though I've been here in New York for 10 years, the, the cost of buying a, a place here is so astronomically high as opposed to renting, which I can do, as I said earlier, fairly cheaply. So I think eventually, yes, I would like to own a home, but it, so many other things need to align, and some of that um, is financial goals and business goals and entrepreneurial goals. So what about aesthetics? Is that important to you? Aesthetics, like, you know, so mm-hmm. your space where you live, you want it to look mm-hmm. a certain way? Or do you compromise on the aesthetics in order to not have those expenses? I think having a space that I feel comfortable in is very important to me. I just don't think that has to necessarily come with a, a big price tag. I will admit that, like, if I walk into a Pier 1 or something, I want everything. But it's so astronomically expensive, and there's really no reason to pay, you know, $25 for a throw pillow. And one of the ways I like to stay grounded in what, like, I really need and what is useful and and valuable in my space is by imagining myself in that retail environment and stripping away all the fanciness of everything else around me and saying, what if this throw pillow was in a thrift shop? You know, would it still look so great? What if it was buried under a, a a pile of discount uh, clearance items, would it still be so attractive and calling out to me? And nine times out of ten, it's not. 
you know, it's, there's so much more in that environment that makes things enticing and tempting. And the fact is, when I bring that thrill to a home, it's just another thing I have to maintain and another thing I have to clean and worry about and move when I move. So I'm, I like having a, a sparse space and a useful space, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not aesthetically pleasing. It's just uh, very functional. So it sounds like you live a very simple life. I do. No clutter. <laughs> except for travel. Except for travel. I travel quite a bit. So the travel, what do you take? One bag and your, and, and your computer oh, yeah. and your laptop? So my first job out of college actually was on a seven-month tour throughout Asia with a musical. And I think that was probably what really was just, just served as the catalyst for my kickoff into minimalism and frugality was that since we were going to Asia, the restriction on the flight was that you could only have one 44-pound suitcase. And so I had to live out of that for seven months. One, I'm time, sorry, one 24-pound suitcase. Sorry, one 44-pound 44 suitcase. Pounds. Okay. <laughs> Not quite 20, but still, it's... it's uh, that's restrictive. right. How, how many of us travel and have to pay extra for luggage right. because we've exceeded the 50 pound minimum or maximum? Exactly. So I really, that was my first venture into adulthood. And I think that kind of set the precedent and the stage for everything that really followed. And the crazy thing was, is I thought I was taking so little as it was. And then two months into the tour, I realized I don't even need a third of this stuff. And I sent it home and then filled my suitcase up with some souvenirs, but still, um, it it just really drove the point home about how little I actually needed to survive and live my life. Such a great lesson, such an amazing lesson, because really the bigger picture, and you're you're 28 years old, right? I don't know um, your your parenting situation or your family situation, Mm -hmm. but so many Americans, I'll I'll speak for Americans, because this is so true for our society. We spend decades of our lives accumulating stuff and buying the house and the two or three car garage and filling up the garage with a bunch of tools and a bunch of stuff. And every room in the house is just a bunch of stuff. And then as we get into our 60s and 70s, if we don't downsize, right, we've got all this stuff until we die and somebody else has to clean it out for us. But if we do downsize, we realize most of that stuff we really didn't need. And hopefully we're not moving that stuff into the the smaller place, but storage, right? So many people pay for storage to stick the stuff that they're never going to use because they can't get rid of the stuff. So at 22, 23 years old, you learn to live with less than 44 pounds of stuff. It's been a great lesson. Um, I actually just had a friend who moved to Cape Town, South Africa to get married, and she had to go through this whole process herself. And she was having really struggling. She, she was 30, and she was really struggling to pare down everything she had accumulated. And she was in debt and trying to sell the things that she had accumulated thus far and was just so heartbroken at how little value they actually held. That she had the entire um, season of the Sex and the City DVDs, which she paid something like $200 mm. for, and she couldn't sell it for 50 bucks. So that's an 
is a great exercise for maintaining perspective of what you need and how much something really holds in terms of value is to think about this suitcase exercise. And if you had to put everything into a suitcase and, and sell off everything else, would it, would it really maintain value? And if it's, if it's not going to add um, sustainable value to your life, then maybe it's not really worthwhile. What about the practical stuff, right? The toiletries, mm-hmm. the kitchen stuff, the books. Do you just not have any of that stuff? So I have some kitchen things. I've had various roommates uh, throughout my uh, my time in New York. So a lot of things are supplemented through each other's tools. So there's really not all that much in regards to what I have in terms of the practical things. But even there, I think people have a tendency to go overboard. They have, you know, cake pop makers and deep fryers. And and when you go out to suburbia where there's actually storage storage space, the amount of stuff people have in their kitchen cabinets is just shocking. I don't need a waffle maker. I I do need a, a pan and a pot, but... Honestly, even there, it's just this culture of excess in literally every single room. What about pictures? What about books? I have some pictures. Uh, thankfully, things are digital, so I can travel them easily. But um, I have a few framed items. I have my diplomas. I have um, some artwork from my world travels. Those are valuable to me, um, mostly because they're unique and, you know, don't take up a ton of space. Uh, I think in terms of talking about stuff, it's kind of like talking about spending. Is like you make room for the things that you value. Um, but if you're, if you're just hoarding, I think that's very different from really picking and choosing things you value. So that's, so that's a really important distinction, I think. So you make room for things you value, but hoarding is just keeping stuff that has little to no value. Right. It's just, it's just filling the space because that's what we've been told to do or, you know, either from cultural expectations or social cues and media and advertising that we live in a consumption kind of society and taking the time to really step back and assess and be mindful and bring mindfulness into uh, the things you have and your purchasing behavior is very powerful and can make a pretty dynamic life shift. So talk about the purchasing behaviors. Right. So I think if people think about the way they feel and the way they approach the way they shop, it's a really powerful thing. Again, we're talking about bringing mindfulness to the process. So not only saying, do I really need this versus do I want this or am I just filling the space, but really asking yourself, is this the best way of going about this purchase? And in simply saying, oh, wait, let me see if, one, I still need this item. For example, cable, that's a big one people reference because it's easy to cut out. Um, rather than just, you know, paying that recurring bill saying, oh, I have Hulu and Netflix, so, you know, that's only 7 or $8 a month and I can cut down this $60 bill. Or it could just be saying, oh, this is important to me and I value this, but is there a cheaper way to do it? And that's when you get on the phone and you call a cable company and you put on your negotiation pants and get that that bill down. So it's kind of taking that approach to all of your expenses. There are some things I honestly won't do unless I can get them for cheap or for free. Like I'll make it a challenge or like a game for myself. Like there was a 
an event I wanted to attend. And I said, okay, I really want to go, but it's going to be like $500. And I knew it would be good for me and my career and all this stuff, but I, I really don't have the money yet. I found like a Twitter promotion and, and I found uh, that I had credit card rewards so I could travel there. And then I got a scholarship and all of a sudden what was going to be like a $600 tab turned into a hundred dollars. So Applying that same kind of mentality to every expense and, and all of your bills, both recurring and discretionary and necessary, is a really powerful thing. Do you think the millennials, you know, people of your generation, are adapting this mindset? I think they have to. I think some, I think a lot of millennials have had this kind of reality check thanks to uh, the economy they graduated into and the job market that they graduated into. And it's really created a generation that thinks innovatively about the way they approach things. They don't necessarily accept the status quo. By the same token, we fiercely want to be independent. And so we're still battling against a lot of this tendency to accumulate and spend unnecessarily, which is why we have high debt, not to mention there's already a lot of student loan debt. So that kind of compounds the problem. But those big student loans definitely serve as motivation to try to cut back for a lot of young people. The reality for for many people in your generation is that the jobs aren't there. And I don't know how much um, since I really don't watch the news, but I do follow finances, right? Because I'm a financial mm-hmm. advisor. How many people really don't understand unemployment for those who are graduating from college? It is at, it's just so high. There are so many unemployed or underemployed college graduates today that are graduating with an enormous amount of debt. And I think there is a bit of a depression, so to speak, because their reality is not what they expected. Would you agree with that? I absolutely agree with it. Uh, I think millennials are really frustrated because they did definitely grow up with the, as the trophy generation where everybody wins. And then all of a sudden when they get into the real world, it kind of the rug gets pulled out from under them. And so I think a lot of young people went to college with this narrative that we came to accept that you go to college, you do well, you get a good job. And now that's not true. And so you, you feel like you've been sold this false bill of goods. And I'm not saying that millennials should um, be victims of that. I think it's a good incentive to uh, really have millennials challenge themselves and look inside themselves and and figure out what they want to do and how they can uh, use their skills and leverage their resources in other ways. However, I do think that it's really easy for people to point at millennials and blame millennials for all these, for everything, it seems like, honestly. And uh, and the fact is, they're really facing some unprecedented challenges in the employment market and the student debt issue. And the other thing to consider is when you have these high debt loads combined with low employment and underemployment, as you mentioned, 
you have a big problem in terms of millennial retirement. And I know we're talking about this from 40 years away, but we're not talking about people who are in their late 20s, early 30s, who maybe never had access to an employer 401k plan or haven't had consistent income in that they've been able to afford more than pay down their debt. So the implications of the job market and student loans are are really far-reaching, and I don't think people give millennials enough credit for everything that they've done to kind of overcome those challenges. Our guest today, Stephanie O'Connell. We are discussing thrifty living in a tough economy, the millennial generation and their financial situation. And when we return from our break that we're about to take, we will dig deeper into living a happier and fulfilling life within our means. Teresa Kuhn with Living Wealthy Radio. We will be right back. Living Wealthy Radio. Visit Teresa's team online at livingwealthyradio.com, 1-800-382-0830 now. Call 1-800-382-0830. Welcome back, Austin, to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. If you're just now joining us, we are speaking with professional actress and author of The Broke and Beautiful Life, Stephanie O'Connell, about how to achieve our life goals while living on a limited income. And Stephanie, I would describe you as a minimalist for sure, and and you agree with that. And I think that's fantastic. I think that there certainly is more conversation around the minimalist lifestyle today than I've ever noticed. And probably because, well, for one, there is, I think, more of a realization that people in our society have just accumulated way too much. I think things have just gone just way out of control, right? I don't know if you you remember the McDonald's or McMansions, right? There was so much focus for so many years on these huge houses for middle America. And we had to fill those big houses with just a bunch of stuff, right? And you talked about going to Pier 1 and seeing all the beautiful things there. And those stores, those retail outlets are about going there, buying the stuff and filling up our huge McMansions with stuff, right? And more and more stuff. And it just becomes a trap. It becomes a trap in terms of having to work for a living and work to pay expenses and work to pay the stuff, right, that you're just accumulating and limiting your options. And I believe you talk about this in your book about how really the joy of having money and money doesn't buy you happiness, but it certainly does buy you options. And less stuff you have and the more money you have available to you, I think the more options you have for better experiences and for a better life. What do you think? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you figured this out at a really young age. And I salute you. I think it's fantastic. And I think more and more people, especially in your generation, are having an awakening to this, right? Because I, I think they're just recognizing what what were we thinking? What were we thinking? What were we doing with all of our stuff and all of our crap? Because at the end of the day, it really is just crap. Agreed. I think also we see our parents and their retirement crisis. 
and they have all this stuff and we're kind of looking at it and saying, wait, is, is, was this what they traded for um, now that the fact that they now have to work another five or 10 years? That's not really worthwhile. So, yeah, there's a lot going on there. And I think that's probably part of the, the shift towards minimalism. I think so. And for your generation, we were talking about the millennials graduating with a tremendous amount of debt, unemployed or underemployed, frustrated, right? And recognizing that what they expected in terms of earnings and opportunities isn't there unless they make it themselves. And they're not able to afford the lifestyle that their parents raised them with, right? Because this is the trophy generation. And this is the generation that grew up in these McMansions, for many of them, not everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And you made a really good point in terms of, you know, this generation doesn't have access like previous generations to the traditional retirement and savings accounts like the 401ks where they have corporate America matching for their future retirement and the effects of what the millennials are going through because they're not able to save, right? They're just trying to exist can affect their future in terms of retirement, in terms of their finances. So there's a lot of press around the financial illiteracy issue and uh, specifically millennials and the fact that they don't know anything about money. But uh, there's also studies that show that millennials are no more financially illiterate than their predecessors. But this thing of not having had access to employer retirement programs and, let's say, an HR department that helps you and get enrolled in a retirement plan, that's what's kind of continuing the financial illiteracy into more older millennials, and um, it's going to follow them. And so what you have is now more onus on the individual to plan for his or her own retirement without these employer-sponsored programs and the same levels of financial illiteracy, and it's creating a little bit of a crisis. And so what needs to be impressed upon young people is that they have to start investing for themselves. And millennials have been known to be very good savers, but they're not big investors. And I think part of that also comes from graduating college at the time of the recession. They are skeptical of the market, and they saw what happened to their parents' retirement accounts, and they don't trust that. And the fact is, we all know that we're not going to get the kind of growth we need in a checking account or a savings account that's paying 1% interest to actually meet our financial goals. So how do we impress this upon millennials? And I'm one of them, and that's one of the things I try to do in my book and my website is kind of just talk to them on a very real level about Okay, well, if you want to retire someday or if you want to buy a house someday, and if you want to really leverage your income to see it grow significantly, you really have to take this savings and start putting it into investment vehicles. And if you don't have an employer that's helping you do that, you need to get started on your own. And the great thing we have access to that previous generations didn't is technology. And we have wonderful, wonderful apps. We have websites, things that are really democratizing investing um, and, and taking access to financial information and resources that were previously reserved for people who only had, you know, 250000 or half a million dollars in assets who would, could work with financial planners. And now really democratizing that 
resource to everybody. And that's a really, really wonderful and exciting thing. And I think new innovations in technology and financial technology are really going to open up the door for millennials to get invested in their retirement. And I think everything you said, there, there is certainly a lot of truth there. I happen to be uh, on the other side, right, uh, in terms of the uh, client's that I've worked with everything from, you know, middle America to very, very wealthy individuals to the children of my clients that are millennials. And I don't think there's a lack of information. I, I think there's really not, you're fine. You could be financially illiterate because you choose to be illiterate, right? Because there's so much information out there, tons and tons of information. But I think a lot of that information really is not wrecked. There is a huge difference between saving and investing. And most of us are taught to invest and investing assumes risk. That's by definition what investing is. And I think most people don't do enough savings and they put a lot of money into risk, even the market, right? Where it's about retiring. It's about, you know, let me invest for retirement. And the, the uh, so much information is about getting from retirement to dead instead of getting from where you are today to dead and thriving all the way through. And yeah, you do make a really good point there, is that uh, the financial conversation has really revolved around uh, debt payoff and retirement and kind of skipped a lot of what's in between. Yes. And uh, that is is definitely a problem. And one, I kind of actually had this revelation myself rather recently where I was like, hold on a second, where is the information about everything I'm supposed to be doing to fund... 30 to 60, you know, because wow. I got the emergency fund and I got, you know, my retirement fund, but why is nobody talking about this in between time? And I think that's really valuable, too, that you bring that up. Yes, I totally agree. And I totally think that's um, a major issue and one that often gets skipped over, especially because a lot of the personal finance stuff is coming from people who really aren't targeting millennials. Like Dave Ramsey and Sue Zorman are not coming from that perspective, you know, and so it, we need to have these these voices come up that can really address everybody in between, you know, who, who still has all these financial goals ahead of them before they hit retirement. Absolutely. You talk about millennial entrepreneurship, and mm-hmm. that's a passion of mine, being an entrepreneur and owning your own business. And I have a 19-year-old And that's been the thinking since the day he was born, right? Don't depend on corporate America, be a business owner, uh, you know, own your reality. Don't depend on somebody else for a job. Figure stuff out and bring value to the public and you will be rewarded. What's your thinking with entrepreneurship? I think entrepreneurship is fantastic. It has really freed me from being a starving artist to being someone who has a thriving lifestyle and career. Uh, But I understand why putting uh, that idea into practice is so scary. I read some really interesting stats recently on millennial entrepreneurship, and something like 70-some percent of millennials want to be entrepreneurs. But 
entrepreneurship as at its lowest level among young people as it's been in generations. So there's this big ideal around entrepreneurship for young people. But the reality is they are burdened with the student debt and with uh, low earnings and, um, and fear from being graduating into that market that taking that leap is scary. And so what I recommend people do is kind of do what I did is where you really start uh, on the side and you kind of bootstrap your way into entrepreneurship. And uh, for me, it was setting up a website and starting to write and, uh, you know, budgeting a thousand dollars to really get this project of mine going. And within a year I was making my initial investment, you know, that time uh, per month. And now I make, you know, triple that. So it's just about finding ways to make your entrepreneurial ideas realities without without putting too much at risk because I know there's so many other financial demands. But honestly, when you're young and you're a millennial, this is the time to do it because as you get buy a house or have a child, like the financial obligations will continue to pile on. And so I, I really uh, urge people to, like you said, with your child to like master your own destiny and, and do it sooner rather than later and find a way to bootstrap your way to success. There's less to lose at your age. Right, exactly. these risks, and once life gets complicated with the houses and the children and everything else that comes right with with getting older and having uh, values change, right, and and the Indeed. focus change and the needs change, it's more difficult. Yeah, and- absolutely. It's it's much more easy to take a risk when all I have to consider is myself. Like I said, I can get by on a little, but if I'm considering someone else, whether it's a spouse or a child or a home, you know, all of a sudden that decision becomes so much more complicated and there's so much more at stake. And the reality is so many industries today will be disrupted in the next few years. So even if you had that cushy corporate job or that cushy job on Wall Street, right, for New York, I'm sure you've got some friends that are working in Wall Street, <laughs> yeah. their lives could be disrupted in a couple years. Absolutely. I think, I think, again, that's another thing we all saw happen five or six years ago. I know that happened to, to my parents, and it, it was devastating. So, again, taking, taking advantage of this time to kind of you know, secure your own destiny and not be at the mercy of one singular income stream that relies 100% on someone else's decision, uh, that's, it's, a, it's a pretty powerful thing. Right, right, definitely. What other suggestions do you have for not only millennials, but others that are would like to live large on less, oh. right, or, or travel uh, on a budget, but have some amazing experiences without spending a whole lot of money. I just say, just to like, uh, you can use coupons to get your groceries and make things like that cheaper. You can do the same thing with travel. The way I pursue a lot of my travel ventures is to either build up travel around work opportunities that are already paid for uh, by the company, at least in part, 
or to visit family and friends and kind of build around that. Reaching out to my network, I was in you know, Las Vegas and I emailed a coworker from you know, five years ago. I said, oh, what are you working on? Oh, I'm working at Cirque du Soleil. Here's free tickets. You know, really maximizing your network uh, because kind of will be amazed at how far that takes you. And I also implement things like couponing in travel as well, things like Groupon, things like Living Social. Uh, I use the rewards to travel quite a bit. I've gotten flights for about 20 bucks. I flew to Germany last year for 25 I flew round trip to New Orleans for $11. So I use a lot of reward programs, and I kind of work that system for all it's worth because Traveling is really a priority for me. So if I can make it happen for $100 and have a full vacation, then, yeah, I'm going to do that for sure. And what about, I think uh, you write about in your book, how a lot of your grooming, your personal grooming stuff, you you get at almost nothing. Yeah, I, I spend almost nothing on grooming. And it's funny because people who don't know me, like, they assume the worst. It's funny because I write for uh, U.S. News and World Report, and occasionally those articles get picked up on big news sites, and the comments on big news sites are just horrific. Uh, but, I, you know, people are like, oh, this girl must be gross. She must be disgusting. Aww. The fact is, I'm a professional actress. You know, the way I look is very important. And what I found is that it doesn't take a lot to be put together. You know, I work out every day. For free, I run. I come home, take a shower. I, you know, I use toiletries. But other than that, like, there's not much else they need. I don't need to get a manicure. I don't need to get a pedicure. I don't need to get fancy haircuts. I usually go to a, a beauty school and get my haircut for free, which uh, actually works out really well. One of the advantages to living in, in New York City is that even the people in training are amazing. Um, I, I even got a dental cleaning for free recently. So. Again, this idea of challenging what your norm is and not assuming the worst rather than, you know, really seeing, opening up your possibilities and deviating from the norm to find something that provides better value. What about health insurance? So I uh, did not have health insurance for a very long time because it was uh, prior to the Affordable Care Act, and I would not recommend that. Um, but I did go to health clinics. I got preventative care every year through uh, Planned Parenthood. They do full exams uh, for free, which is excellent. It's a really great program. In terms of what I have now, I'm covered through the exchange, but my income has significantly risen, so I'm I'm a little bit worried about what my reality is going to be when I when I update. <laughs> so health insurance is an evolving is an evolving budget category for me. What about dating? I have a long term boyfriend. Uh, it's it's much easier to date once uh, once you're at this stage of okay, let's just watch Netflix and cook dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and. He is very successful. Uh, he actually has a very high income, uh, but we both share kind of these frugal mentalities uh, and really just enjoy doing low-key low things. So taking a bike ride or going for a run, things that are free, are, are, it's great. I'm sure he appreciates that. You're not a high-maintenance girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh you know, I, I did say he had a high income, but that wasn't always the case. You know, we, we both work in theater, so we both have very uh, unpredictable income. And I think for us what it is is that for any day that's great, we know that just around the corner there could be a day with zero. 
And so we kind of live with that mentality of, okay, so today's a good day, but that doesn't mean I'm going to spend everything I earned. And I'm going to, I'm going to maximize today for all it's worth without, without spending to make that happen. Are other starving artists, and I, I don't know this is a fair question, but do other starving artists share that mindset? Because it's a great mindset. It is a good mindset, and I think it takes a while to get there. I think you have to have the experiences for yourself. Because I've been, I've been trying to figure this out a lot lately, because I have friends who I've been giving this advice to for years, and some of them just now are really coming around and saying, oh, my gosh, you are so right. I started doing that, and I saved this money, and now I can open a retirement account. Can you help me? And I say, yes, absolutely. But let me ask you a question. What, what was it? Why, why didn't this click two years ago when I first started talking about it? And they said, you know, I just, I just needed to have that realization for myself. And I, I think that's true in anything in terms of, like, if you're trying to click with a diet, if you're trying to click with a budget, it's, it's all about lifestyle. And everyone thinks there's these quick fixes and all this stuff, but um, until you're ready to really make the commitment to the new lifestyle, uh, you really aren't going to have a lasting significant change. You really need to redefine what your normal is before you can uh, make progress. Do you have siblings? I have four siblings. You have four? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So you grew up with your parents had five kids. Yeah. um, My youngest is adopted from Ukraine, and then the rest are biological. And how many of them share your thinking, your mindset? Well, we're very, very different children. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, my parents really spent money on two things in terms of what they splurged on, and that was education and travel. And I think I have kind of adopted a very similar mindset in that I'll splurge on things that I really value. Like We grew up in a very nice, ritzy town, and we were, like, the only kids who didn't have cell phones or cars or anything. And you're like, yeah, obviously not. No child needs that. So, but, like, in our town, that wasn't an obvious. And this thing about what I said about, like, defining your new normal is, like, saying, okay, well, what you need is really relative. And in, in Connecticut, what you need seems like so much, but when you strip it away and you're working within a parameters of limited income, what you need really is quite little. And I think that's something I also learned a lot from traveling and, and being in third world countries and seeing how little people have and how much they can really maximize their experiences um, independently of what little they have. Um, and so I think um, my parents' example and, and travel and things like that really hit the nail on the head for me for, to really cut back. And of course, the realities of the fact that I made the little money for such a long time. Well, it's, um, it got you to where you are today. And it's a great, great place. Let me tell you, I work, you know, I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients and how many would love to have your mindset at your age, right? (laughs) Because that would mean that they would have so many more options today. And again, I work with very successful people. And Stephanie, O'Connell has been our guest today and she has shared with us how to achieve life goals without breaking the bank or going into debt. Budgeting and saving does not have to be intimidating or confusing. We can get what we want out of life and open up new possibilities. 
simply by living within our means and following her common sense principles and mindset. You know, you don't have to be a millionaire to be happy and you don't have to put your life on hold. You can have a beautiful and exciting life, even on a small budget, so you could put money away and have savings and have more opportunities and options for your future. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us here today at Living Wealthy Radio. And please let our listeners know how they can find you online. Certainly at Living Wealthy Radio, we'll have a link to your website and also um, the podcast to the show. But you've got your website for your book. Yes. So thebrokeandbeautifullife.com is my website. And the book is the same name, The Broke and Beautiful Life. You can find it on the website. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Barnes and Noble. I'm also at stephanieoconnell at gmail.com. Uh, sorry, that's my email address, stephanieoconnell.com. And there I'm always posting the latest updates. This show will be there. I've done a couple of TV uh, things, and I'm going out to speak at a few conferences. So there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. Very good. Well, congratulations to you. I wish you the absolute best. And thank you again for joining us at Living Wealthy Radio. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. God bless. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio on Talk 1370 and streaming live at Talk1370.com. I'm Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com. is for educational and informational purposes only. The info being presented does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation and does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax advisor or legal counsel or other professional, and you should not use the information in place of a personal consultation regarding your specific situation or needs prior to taking any action based on this information. We believe the info provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.